Well, good morning. It is such a pleasure to know that you are joining us this morning for our worship service. We hope you've enjoyed the service so far. And we pray that you will that you have been praying for me this week as we have been preparing for this message. We ask that uh that you continue to seek God even while the preaching of this message that that it not only would would speak to our hearts, but it would even change our hearts and help us to understand that there's more than hearing a message, but we need to really apply that message. We want to look today as we are continuing in the book of Acts in chapter three, we want to complete this chapter as we look in verses 11 through 26. I think last time we focused on 1 through 10, and today we want to look in verses 11 through 26 in the book of Acts in chapter 3. Yeah, as you're turning there, I just want to ask, have you ever noticed how when something unusual happens, people will flock to it? It doesn't really matter what it is. If it's out of the ordinary, people will rush to it. Someone once said, if you set something on fire, people will go just to watch it burn. Well, if this is true, shouldn't that, there in that moment, while people are gathered watching something take place, shouldn't it become a moment of teaching? Of course, people at a fire are watching the fire. They're watching the property be burned. And they're, they're watching to see how the fire department is moving around. And they're watching to see if someone is being rescued and, and what to do in, in those uh, situations. But we have to understand that as they're watching, it's a moment of demonstration. It appears that in the moment of the demonstration that... While these firefighters have the undivided attention of the onlookers, that someone would be duted with the responsibility to, to teach or to explain what is going on and how not only to prevent the fires, but, but how to protect yourself or how to help someone in the midst of a fire. In other words, the illustration is before them. Why not share some information to them? Well, as we look into this text today, we see that, that Peter takes the opportunity to expound on what a group of people have just witnessed. So here, let's, let's look at the text in Acts chapter 3, verses 11 through 26. The Bible says, now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was de determined to let him go. 
But you denied the Holy One and the just. And as for a murderer to be granted to you. And killed the prince of life who God raised from the dead. Of which we are witnesses. And his name through faith in his name. Has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yes the faith which comes through him. Has given him this perfect soundness. In the presence of you all. Yet now brethren. I know. That you did it in ignorance. As did also our ruler. Your rulers. But those things which God foretold. By the mouth of all his prophets. That the Christ would suffer. He has. Thus fulfilled. Repent therefore. And be converted. That your sins may be blotted out. So that. Times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like men, like me. From your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things. Whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet. Shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes. And all the prophets from Samuel to those who follow. As many as have spoken. Have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Oh, this is God's holy word. Pray with me, would you? God, as we do come before you this day, we pray that you would move upon us. That, God, you would help us as we proclaim your word. We pray, God, that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to receive. And, God, everything that's said and done, we'll give you praise for it all. We ask, God, if there's one here who doesn't know you through the forgiveness of sins through your son, Jesus Christ, and his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We pray, God, that today would be the day that they call out to that name, which is above every name, the name of Jesus, that they would receive him as their savior, they would repent of their sins, and they would have the opportunity to walk in the newness of life. God, we pray that you would be glorified, your son magnified in all that takes place. And we give you praise for it all. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Well, looking at this text today, we notice that Peter preaches his second sermon. Now, during Peter's first sermon, he had a large audience and he had their undivided attention. And here before he begins his second sermon. The Bible says that all the people ran to them. Now keep in mind, it was not a coincidence that Peter's first two messages were before a large 
gathering of people. As a matter of fact, Peter nor his disciples went out soliciting people to listen to his message. But if you will remember that in his first message, it followed the anointing of the Holy Spirit where everyone came running out to find out what was going on as men spoke and everyone heard in their own language. And here we find that a man who had been crippled from birth, the Bible says he was crippled from the womb or lame from the womb. He's healed. He's been standing and now he's beside Peter and John in a demonstration of the power of God. Oh, in both situations, it seems like God got the attention of the people because he had something that he wanted to say to them. And, and I've got to say this to my, my preaching brethren, uh, that, that whenever we, we've got something from God to say, that we must say it because God's given us a congregation in whom he's wanting his message declared. We have no message. If we preach the text of God's holy word, we have no message of our own. We're just proclaiming God's message to the people that God gathers to hear our message. In sermon preparation courses that's taught in Bible colleges and seminaries and divinity schools, they teach the importance of, to grab your audience attention with an opening illustration. Now that illustration has to introduce the message or it's really ineffective. It's of no effect if you have a great illustration, but it has nothing to do with the message. And you know, some people, some preachers are excellent at this. I could name several right within our association. And you would agree if you've heard them preach. Dr. Tim Chavis, preacher Steve Strickland, preacher Jimmy Strickland. There, and there's so many that I can't name them all that are very good at this. And then there's some like me who we're just, really trying to find our way with this process uh, not as a, a way to make ourselves look good but a way to really capture our audience some are better at this than others and and what we see here in this text is that there's a demonstration of God's power in that this man lame from his mother's womb was leaping and walking and praising God. And now he's standing here between Peter and John holding on to them and, and the people are running to the scene and Peter standing on Solomon's porch. He noticed their amazement and he began to preach of the power that's been demonstrated before them. So, Peter has begun to preach, and so let's hear his explanation for what has taken place. When we listen to Peter, we find that he responds to the people by asking the men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? It appears that Peter saw their amazement. He saw it either in their eyes or in their body language or even may have heard it through the they're speaking to one another. But what's obvious is that Peter didn't want them confused. He didn't want the people thinking that this miracle was done by him or John in their own power. He, he goes as far as to make sure they understood that, that they were not godly enough for something this miraculous to take place by them. Instead, God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did this. 
God did this miracle through Peter and John. And he gave Peter an audience to glorify his servant, Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting here is that Peter identifies Jesus as God's servant. He doesn't identify him in this moment as God's only begotten son. But he identifies him as God's servant. So we have to ask the question, why? Well, what does a servant do? Whatever its master says. And who was Jesus? The Messiah. The servant of God. And he did all that his father had commanded him to do. Here, Peter doesn't identify Jesus as God's son, but as God's servant. We must remember that everything Jesus did while on earth was to glorify his father. Well, <laughs> and this was Peter's way of identifying him as the Messiah. Everyone remembers the story of Lazarus very well. We remember how Jesus got word that Lazarus was sick. But when Jesus got the news, he said in John 11 and 4, that this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, and that the, that the Son of God might be glorified through it. When Jesus said that, that the Son of God may be glorified through it, he's speaking in future terms because he uses the term here. He says this is for the glory of God. And one day, because of what's going to happen, because God's going to get glorified in this moment, that one day, Jesus would receive glory for it also. Oh, we can't forget Philippians 2 and 5, 5 through 11. When we look in verse, in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, we can't forget what, what Paul says to the Philippians. He says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself of no reputation. Taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance, the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of, of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everything that Jesus done while he was walking on earth was to give God glory for it. Oh, but now Jesus has ascended. He's ascended to the Father and he has been exalted and now God is now glorifying his servant, his only begotten son, the one who the Jews had delivered up. Jesus lived a perfect life. He fulfilled the law perfectly and because of that, now he's exalted. Now he's been glorified in everything that you and I do that gives God glory. God is glorifying his son because his son is our example and the one that we follow. The Jewish people denied God's Messiah, the Holy One. And they demanded that a murderer go free. They denied Jesus even though he was innocent of everything they charged him with. Even Pilate could not find fault in him. Every charge against him was unjustified. 
The truth is he was rejected and condemned because he proclaimed to be the son of God. And he challenged and charged everyone to surrender themselves, to deny themselves and to surrender everything to God. Oh, but listen, we can't get too bold here and pass the buck. The Bible tells us that we also stand guilty with those who crucified Jesus. For Romans 3 and 23, the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus died for the sin of the world. That's your sin and my sin. Romans 5 and 12 says that therefore, just as through one man centered into the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men. Because all sinned. Yes, folks, it was our sins. When he was hanging on a cross over 2,000 years ago, it was for your sins and for mine. As well as every sin in the world. And you know, today, though he did this for us today, men are still rejecting Jesus Christ as their personal savior. Because they're unwilling to give of themselves to God. Someone, someone right now is rejecting God. I've heard it said from time to time that I've got some more living to do. Well, friend, you don't even begin to live until you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and, and trust him as your Lord and Savior. Ephesians 21 says that, that you he made alive who were dead in the trespass of sins. Oh, listen, you need to hear this. If you have not been born again, you are dead. And if you're dead, you're not living. Everything is just a smoke screen and you just can't see through it. You may think that, that you'll seek Jesus later. <laughs> maybe when you get older. Maybe when you've done all that you want to do. Maybe when your children get of age to where, to where you, what you do in front of them, they can see and they can repeat. But I want to assure you, nothing that is dead is seeking anything. Truth is, he's seeking you. And while he is calling you from death to life, come, come quickly while he is calling. It's only when you surrender your life to Jesus and trust him as your Lord and Savior that he makes you alive. And the blessings that, that then you, you are made alive forevermore. You're not just alive for the moment. You're not just alive for a few years. You're not just alive to see your children grow. But you're alive forevermore. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man, lame from birth, was made whole. And you and I, we were all lame from birth. We all were. And the spirit within us was dead. But for those of us who've called upon the name of the Lord, he has made us whole. He has quickened us. And now we're made alive. I want to ask you, if you're here today, and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you're listening to this and you're lost in your sin, if you're dead in the trespass of your sin, are you ready to be made alive? Are you ready to made, be made whole? Well, just call on Jesus. Just call on Jesus. This man had called on Jesus. A man who was lame from the womb. And now he's made whole. <laughs> I 
we hear Peter's explanation as to what took place. But let's listen to his exhortation. Peter shares with those listening that you and the religious leaders rejected and killed the prince of life. But it was done out of ignorance. When Peter says this, he's not insulting the people. He's not implying that they are stupid or that they are foolish. Instead, he's saying, you just didn't know what you were doing. You weren't aware because of unbelief that this Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. Oh, they couldn't believe that Israel's Messiah would be, would be even born in Nazareth. Even Nathaniel, one of Jesus' followers, when he first was told that they had found the Messiah and he was Jesus of Nazareth, his reply, even, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And we see that in, in John 1, 46. Oh, but the reply was, come see. The Messiah was born to a lowly girl who became pregnant during an engagement. And the father wasn't even the man who she married. The Messiah being raised by a Jewish carpenter. Oh no, the Messiah was to be born of royalty. But little did they know that he was and is and forever will be royalty. For he's king of kings and he's lord of lords. He's God's only begotten son. But, but they should have known this. They had the prophets who had proclaimed the coming and the death of God's son. Even Matthew 2 and 23 says that and he came and dwelt in the city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets that he shall be called a Nazarene. God had foretold that all that men needed to know to accept Jesus as their savior, as his son. So their ignorance here, while it's identified and it's made known to them that that's why they done what they done, it was of no excuse. God was still holding them accountable. And I want to tell us, if we fail to open God's word and understand what God is saying to us, our ignorance is no excuse. You may think that, well, the less I know, the less I'm accounted for, because I know that the Bible says much given, much required. But I want to, let, I want to remind us that our ignorance is of no excuse. Isaiah 53. Three and five says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. They crucified Jesus Christ in the sin and shame of rebellion against God. Refusing to study and listen to the scriptures. And for this, Peter exhorts them to repent and be converted. Oh, Peter's calling them to turn away from themselves and to turn to God by receiving Jesus Christ, the one whom they crucified as their Lord and Savior. And when true repentance takes place, things change. We are not who we once were. Our sin is blotted out. It's been erased and, and it's been wiped away. And for that, we, we, we sense this overwhelming conviction and this overwhelming need of, of showing our gratitude and our appreciation for all that God does. And he commits us to serving him to the very best of our ability. And we have a hunger and a longing to know more of him 
so that he could take over more of us. While we're here, just indulge me for a moment. When we've truly repented, when we've been changed, we can experience the presence of God in our lives in such a way that he provides everything that we need. When we need refreshing and renewal, we find it in the presence of God. When we need grace and blessings, we find it in the presence of God. When we need rest and comfort, we find it in the presence of God. When we need joy and rejoicing, we find it in the presence of God. When we need strength and revival, we find it only in the presence of God. When we need change in our lives, we'll find it in the presence of God. And in order to experience the presence of God, we must repent and turn away from our sin and turn to Christ. And turning to Christ is to love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind and strength. And to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. This doesn't mean that I've got to love them because God's told me to love him. It means that I love him. I love her as I love myself. This isn't a sexual love, but this is, this is a brotherly love. And to love someone as you love yourself is to treat someone as you would want to be treated. In other words, when we look at men and women, we see a man, we see a woman. We don't see a black man. We don't see a black woman. We don't see a white man. We don't see a white woman. But we see a man or we see a woman. How can we say we have repented? How can we say that we love the Lord with everything within us and have hatred for our brothers and sisters? Because of the color of their skin. Or because of the accent that they carry. If we've repented and we love the Lord, then we must love each other. And as we see others, we must see ourselves. Hatred and racism has no place in the kingdom of God. Why is this so important? Why is what I just finished saying so important? Because Jesus is going to return. But this time, he's not going to return as the lamb of God. He's returning as the lion out of Judah. He's returning in power and might. He's going to return and make all things new. Moses had warned, warned that the prophets of the people of Israel would be, would be raised up. A prophet from the people of Israel would be raised up from among them. And if Israel refused to, to hear him, that they would be utterly destroyed. And the one Moses spoke of was Jesus Christ. If you fail to repent and receive him as your Lord and Savior, you will experience the torment of an eternal spiritual and physical death. You remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man fared sumptuously every day. But Lazarus was full of sores and he laid at the gate. He, desired, he simply desired the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. 
there was a day the Bible declares in Luke's gospel, chapter 16, the Bible declares that, that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the Bible declares also that the rich man died and was buried. The rich man looking from his torment, seeing Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham. He asked if Lazarus, who was now faring sumptuously in the bosom of Abraham, if he could dip his finger in water and drop it on the rich man's tongue so that his thirst could be quenched while he was in torment in a literal hell. But there was a great gulf between the two and no one could cross this gulf. So the request was denied. So the rich man asked again, well, can Lazarus go and warn my brothers? I've got five brothers at my father's home. Can you go and tell them not to end up in this hell in torment with me? Oh, there's a, <laughs> there's a message right there. You may think that because someone you know didn't leave a confession here on earth, that you're going to just join them and y'all going to rule things in hell. There's not a soul in hell that wants you to join them there. But there's a great group in the heavens that wants you to come and rejoice and spend an eternity with them. Oh, there's a message there for another day. I want you to hear what Abraham warned. This rich man who's tormented in a literal hell. He answered him saying, let them hear the pro Moses and the prophets. For if they're not persuaded by Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded by one raised from the dead. Oh, folks, there are too many people still today looking for a sign that Jesus is real. Well, you want something that's real? Take the preservation of the Holy Scriptures as a sign. For Isaiah 40 and 8 tells us that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. That's enough to know that he is real. We have, a, we have in God's holy word, Moses and the prophets. We have Abraham's seed. God has blessed all nations. God gave his only begotten son. He poured out. His blood, or he shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven. God raised him up, conquering death, hell, and the grave. And he's given us the hope that life doesn't end with the grave. And for you who've already died to yourself and been raised up with Christ, we have already passed from death into eternal life. I don't know about you. But I'm not waiting to die for eternal life. Eternal life was granted to me the day that I received Jesus as my Savior. The day that my name was recorded in the Lamb's book of life. Eternal life begins now. There may be a day if the Lord tarries that I lay down and this body goes to rest. I may go to sleep, but I'm waking up with Jesus. I'm not dying. I'm going to live forevermore. Oh, you who've already died to yourself. You've been raised up with Christ. You have already passed from death 
to life. Oh, we have so much. So much to look forward to. But if you haven't, and today you're still dead in the trespass of your sin, today you can be set free. Today you can receive eternal life. Today you can be made whole. Are you ready? Are you ready to receive this exhortation? Are you ready to receive this explanation? That the power to change your life, it lies in you by faith, calling on Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Would you today? Would you today? Are you ready to receive him? If you are, would you pray with me? If you're ready to, to become alive and to know that you can be alive forevermore. If you're ready to trust Jesus as your Savior, would you just pray this simple prayer? God, I believe. God, realizing I am a sinner, dead in the trespass of my sin. I believe that I'm in desperate need of a Savior. And God, I believe Jesus is the Savior of the world. He died for my sin. And he rose in victory. And God, I receive him as my Savior. I repent of all my sins. And I thank you for forgiving me. And I make Jesus my Lord. Thank you, God, for loving me. For being long-suffering. And convicting my heart and leading me to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. And extending your grace to me. Help me now to live in the light of your glory. Help me to be a witness of you, not only through my speech, but also through my walk. And help me to lead others to you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Oh, today, if you can tell us that your life has changed, that you're no longer who you used to be, but that now you belong to Jesus, would you just share with us in your comments, in an inbox? You can call, you can text someone that you know that may be connected to this church so that they can share. We can share with our church family that someone today has been changed by the power of the gospel. Oh, we'll celebrate with you. As this choir begins to sing our song of invitation, would you today 
Let, allow us to worship with you. Allow us to celebrate this new day in your life. God, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for what you've already done. Oh, and we look forward to what you're going to do. Minister continually in hearts. And we'll praise you for all that's accomplished. Be with us this day. Be with us this week. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. We love you, Reedy Branch. And we pray that God continues to richly bless each one of you.